Now, as we step into today's message, for those of you who are not able to make it today, who uh, live in other states or physically not able to be here, we will be having communion at the end of our message. And so if you have some communion supplies, I encourage you to grab them as you, you listen in. Now, we are continuing our series in, no, in, no, talking, I guess it would be in baggage, talking about baggage. Second week, talking about the emotional baggage that we all carry in our lives. And the reason that this series is so important is because, like I said, we all carry baggage, every single one of us, from, from years of hurt and pain and sin and bad choices and the tough circumstances of life, we all carry around this baggage, whether we realize it or not. And it doesn't even need, you don't even need to be 60, 70, 50, 40. Even our teenagers today, as we talked about last week, they have baggage that they carry around that affects their lives. Now, the good news is we have freedom in Jesus. Through Jesus, we can let go of these bags and we can learn to travel light, to live free in the journey that he has for us in this life. And so we're looking over these few weeks of how to unpack all of this worthless weight. Now, last week, we looked at what were in these bags that we carry in our lives. Remember, I had my bags, my illustration bags, right? Remember this, right? We carry around what was in them, shame, Fear, anxiety, insecurity, guilt, resentment, anger, bitterness, just to get started. And we talked about just a few of the effects of carrying around these bags, that for many of us that our present is controlled by the memories of our past. We could live in a joyous time in our lives, but those memories of the past roll in and they steal it right away. We live with an inability to forgive people who have hurt us. Our priority in life is protecting ourselves rather than serving the Lord. We're hesitant to, to step out into faith. And we struggle to handle criticism. Even in minor corrections, we get defensive. We have thin skin, as you say. And we talked about how it even affects our relationships with others. Remember, I had my son come up here last week, and we talked about how bags prevent us from getting to know each other, that when you stack the bags up high right here, and if you were to talk to me, I can't see you. You can't see me. There's a wall between us, and that's what the emotional baggage does in our lives and our relationship. And those who are forced to have a relationship with us, they are often forced to take our bags. Like, look, you don't just get me in this relationship. You have to take all the weight, all the baggage with me in our families, in our work relationships. We put that weight on them. Parents, we talked about our children. If you don't deal with your baggage, you will throw it on them. It will become part of the life, part of their lives that they have to carry. So it's a significant subject. And it's one that we don't think of often. Now, my hope was for you last week, because it's an abstract topic, and especially for us men who don't like to explore our emotions, that if you just let this message pass by, you'll lose the incredible opportunity you have to let go of whatever baggage you have in your lives. And so my desire for you was to pray and say, Lord, wherever I got baggage I'm holding on to, help me to see it. You know, when I get angry this week, I get defensive this week, help me to, to, to wonder why, to wonder what's pushing me so quick to those places. Help me to see it. Told you if you were brave enough and you really want to let go of this baggage to talk to the people that you love the most and to say, hey, do you see any emotional baggage in my life? Right? 
I guarantee you that's a sign of somebody who wants to get rid of their baggage. They'll look to those around them and say, what do you see? And so my prayer is if you didn't do that, and odds are some of you did and some of you didn't because it's human nature, my prayer is you'll continue to do it or you'll start doing it this week, that you won't miss this incredible opportunity to start this journey of letting go of the bags in your life. Amen, church? Amen. 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 So as we continue this process of letting go this week, I want to start by focusing on a couple verses from the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is from the prophet Isaiah, and it's in the Old Testament, which focuses on Israel. And in chapter 43, as he's giving a prophecy, as he's speaking for the Lord, he's warning Israel. And he says to Israel, listen, God's worked one way in the past, right? He's worked one way in the past, but he's not going to work that way in the future. So don't miss what he's doing by being focused on the past. Let me read for you. If you pull up on the slides for me, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, there are a lot of truths we can pull on this. this could, you, could, you could take this one chapter and, and do a multi-week series. But for today's purposes, I just want to talk about the past and how the past can prevent us from moving forward, letting go of those bags in our lives. I mean, because what are all the bags that we have, all the baggage that we carry, everything that's in it, what does it all have in common? It all comes from the past. All of it comes from the past. And that past can weigh us down. Have you ever been in the like, airport with small children and they have their own bag to carry because they want to help out? And then you get to one point as a parent and you turn around and they're literally just like, they're at the other end of the terminal and they're just standing there like this because they're just done, right? Because they don't care. You got a plane to carry and then you're going to grab their bags and you're going to grab them and you're rushing even harder to get to your plane. That's what some of us are like in life. We have these heavy bags that are weighing us down, and we're just stuck. And I think one of the reasons for this is we have this little voice that influences us. We don't always hear it, but it influences nonetheless that our future is determined by our past. Like I said, the little voice that says your future is determined by your past. You see, we... We have these negative moments that happen in our lives. And, and the way we look at those moments, it's like we think, okay, if those moments didn't happen, if that didn't happen to me, then I'd have a different and better present. I'd have a different and better future. We get stuck in the, the what ifs. We get stuck in the, the, the what only, you know, if onlys. Or else there'd be a pattern in our lives, a, usually a, a pattern of failure. And because we failed in these certain areas in the past, we have lost all hope in the future. These could be in jobs. You know, Marie will tell you, like my first five churches I was in, not one of them lasted more than two and a half, three years. Not for any moral failure or anything. I wasn't embezzling money or like, first few churches ran out of money. Let's, okay, it, it happens, right? 
You know, and, and there were points where I'm like, what, man, man, is God trying to tell me something? Like, maybe I like, you know, I need to go back to something else. This, you know, because it just keeps dead end after dead end after dead end. What was I doing in those moments? I was thinking about my past. In relationships, I, I've counseled many people where they have bad relationship after bad relationship. It could be romantic, it could be friendship. And then because of all these in the past, they're like, I'm just done in the future. I've talked to students when I was a youth pastor, and, and they'd have these horrible GPAs. And so they'd build up this self-esteem, I'm just bad at this, and I'm never going to get better. Their past is determining their future. And if those defining moments didn't happen, or if those patterns weren't there, we'd have a different and better future. As if the past is sovereign and not the Lord God Almighty. And yet in Isaiah 46.10, Isaiah says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. It doesn't say I will accomplish all my purpose unless the people I want to use messed up too much or are too broken, then I can't use them. I mean, the Bible, I think God only uses broken people in the Bible. I mean, we hear these big names like, you know, like Moses or Noah or David, but if you don't read your Bible, you don't understand how messed up and broken these people were. But he shows us through these broken people I will accomplish my will. He is sovereign, not our past. Now, there's another kind of baggage that, that it doesn't weigh us down so much as it slows us down because we keep stopping to look at it. Um, I didn't talk about this last week. It, it's um, Bruce Springsteen, he had this song came out years ago called Glory Days. And the whole song is about running into old high school classmates and all they want to do is relive the glory days of high school, right? And, and these are the kind of bags that I'm talking about. They're bags that we stop at these momentous high moments in our lives and we keep looking at them and treasuring them. Like they're not these cheap Amazon basic $20 bags. They're, they're like, you know, these nice filled, you know, full leather bags, right? Really nice, really high quality. And, and we'll just take them out from time to time and we'll just, we'll start pulling things out of them. You know, like my Oscar I won once, you know. No, I'm kidding. I wanted to put my wife's volleyball trophies in there, but they wouldn't fit. You know, and we'll just start pulling all of these achievements out that were important to us. The things that we cherished or even just, you know, just even past things that we enjoyed that we loved, and we long for them. And, and busy, while we're sitting here longing and staring at them, the future keeps going, and it keeps happening, and, and, and we keep missing out on it. And we all have a tendency to do this, to look back at our past at these high points, and, and we have this tendency in humanity to romanticize the past, not remembering that all the same kind of crud that's there 
that here today, it was then. It was back there. Our sin was still there. We just weren't paying attention to it. In fact, some of the problems that we're facing right now are because of our problems from the past that we never dealt with. And as a side note, this is like a monstrous, monstrous problem for the American church. We have churches that have been around forever, people that have been in them forever, and they never want to change a thing. They always long for the past. And like I said, I've been a pastor long enough to know the past was usually as messed up as the present. They just don't realize it or they're afraid of change. And so what do those churches do? They die. They die off left and right. It's the number, I belong to this pastor's forum, hundreds of pastors in there, and they share advice and, and share their problems. And, and the number one problem, not even close, is congregations' inability to change. They just want it the way it used to be. And that happens to us. We want things the way they used to be. We're so busy looking in the past, we're not stopping to say, what is God doing now? And, and that's, this is, and the weird thing, it's even when the past isn't that great. And I, I don't know why this is. And maybe it's because the past, even though it was horrible, it, it feels safer. I mean, there's, there's no surprises in the past. You know how to control what happened to the past to the best of your ability? Look at the Israelites. They're in slavery in Exodus, hundreds of years, 400 years, I think. Painful, rotten times. Moses comes around by the, by the power of God, frees them, takes them into the wilderness, frees them from all of that. What do they end up doing? Wishing they could go back to slavery. Wishing they could go back to slavery. They just wanted to go back to the way things were, even though it was horrible, because it was safer to them. And as I was praying this morning, I was praying this week, I was like, God, oh, man, Lord, I pray that the people listening do not miss, do not pass over where they're stuck in the past. That they would ask, God, show me where I'm stuck. Show me where I'm stuck. Do not let me miss it. I prayed it for myself. And that's my whole desire today, is that you be, it would be revealed to you and that you would determine not to get stuck there anymore. For a simple, simple truth, that through faith in God, you know through Scripture that the best is yet to come. That the best isn't back there, it, it, it's it ahead of you. Now, without God at the center of your life, you cannot say that with any level of confidence. Because you don't really know if good's coming your way. I mean, you can, you can have things that you look to. You know, you can read horoscopes. You can look to luck. You can talk to to fate, but there's no overarching power. It's all chance. And so the past really might be the best that you had. Because in the end, you can only count on yourself. But when your faith is in God, you can say, man, the best is yet to come. We talked about this next week. I have a sovereign God that is greater than all my suffering. And there will be suffering. 
Even in spite that suffering will come your way again, trials will come your way again, hurt will come your way again, your sin will get in the way again, you know the best will yet to, is yet to come because of the Lord. One, the promise of heaven, right? We put it into perspective. I mean, I've said this so many times, uh, you're probably tired of hearing it, that if all our pain and suffering in this earth is just for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, and for those who put their faith in Christ, they spend eternity with God, then our lives here, our suffering here, it's a blink of the eye. When you have that eternal perspective, it, it changes everything, that one day it'll all be washed away. All the pain, all the suffering, all the tears wiped. And that gives you a confidence and a strength to move forward. And even until then, you know, we talked about this last week in Romans 8, 28, that God's working the best through all situations. And we know that in all things, God works for the what church? For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I've seen this in the lives. I was actually, as I was writing this, this was... Friday, I was writing this, and I was thinking of the different people that this was true for in the church that I've known in the, what, six years I've been here, the, the different people that where I've seen you guys walk through tough things, and, and I've seen how God has worked through those things, and in, in, in the deep pain and hurt that you had, and how his strength came through. And, and where you are now, because of his grace and his mercy and his strength. I almost called a couple of you early this morning if I could share your story, but I didn't want to get, get you mad at me calling you at 5.30 in the morning. And, and granted, sometimes the best takes a while. I know we're in a, a society where everything's just now, 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 now. But sometimes God's processes take a while. That classic example of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up becoming successful in Egypt. Then after he's successful, he's thrown into prison because he gets falsely accused. And then God uses him to interpret some dreams, and after some years in prison, he ends up the second command in Egypt. What happens? Famine comes, and then he's, he's in this position to save his family. And then his brothers who sold him into slavery are before him asking for food. He says this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. But this isn't was instantaneous. This was years in the making. The best is always yet to come with the Lord. It's always there. In every situation. And so the question that I'm, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that will develop in your hearts from this is whatever you're going through, as you're seeking the Lord, that you're able to ask the question, what could God be doing? Now, we, we walk into situations in our lives and we say, this is bad, this is good, this is what I need for it to be better. If this happens, it gets worse, which such authority, like we have any idea what's going on. 
or we have any idea of what's really good or really bad. I wonder how our perspective on everything would change if no matter what we were facing, we asked the question, what could God be doing? Come on, think about it. Right now, the things that are struggling with, the things that you're, you're battling, have you even asked that question? What could God be doing through this? What could God be doing? What is he up to? I believe that the devil, the enemy, however he works, because he's not sovereign, so he's not everywhere at all times. So I don't know how it all works, but I believe the enemy is aware that when you put your faith in Christ, as Jesus, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord, he knows that what lies ahead of you as you follow Christ is way better than what was in the past, and he wants to distract you from it. He wants to hold you. He wants to chain you to the past. He wants to keep you chained there. Philippians chapter 3, Paul lists off all the good things he's done in his world, in his life. He says they're all rubbish. He says the past is all rubbish. And he says this in verse 13 and 14. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own in terms of fully coming to understand Christ and, and, and to be righteous as God would call him to be. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. He says, my past is rubbish. It doesn't matter. What matters now is what God is calling to me into the future. And you got to think about it. This is the same dude who said in another, in, in another book of the Bible, he says, look, why do I always do the things I don't want to do? And why do I never do the things that I want to do? He's also the one who called, him the, called himself the worst of sinners. He's somebody who probably had Christians murdered before he had an encounter with Christ. Murdered. I am going to guess that none of us in here has murdered any Christians. If you have, see me afterwards in a public setting, not privately, right? And yet this dude was still able to say, I shouldn't call him a dude, he was an apostle. He's just still able to say, I am forgetting everything that lies behind you. Some of you, it feels impossible to let go of the things behind you. If anybody had that, that, that right to struggle, it would be him. And he said, it's all behind me. It's all behind me. Because he knew that it was God who delivered him. His eyes were on Christ. He said, same Christ that saved me is setting my path. And so I'm going to keep moving. When we can't get past our past, it is, a, it is a faith issue in God. But to do this, to get to that point, to get to this point, you have to do what Paul has done. He accepted his past for what it was. Many times he talked about who he was. Stated as a fact. He accepted it. I failed here, I messed up here, it is what it is. One of my favorite saints, right? This is what I did. This is what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to look at our hurt and our pain, our failures of the past and say, that happened. 
That happened. But that doesn't define me. There's scars. There's hurt. There's pain. But that doesn't define me. He defines me. Now, that doesn't mean we can't learn from the past. We should learn from our sin. And this is not an excuse to dismiss our past because anyone who's really repentant, really sorry for their sins of the past, they change direction in their lives. That's what it means to repent. They say, I'm not going to do the things I used to do. I'm going to start doing the things the Lord has called me to do. But that doesn't define me. Your sins do not define you if your faith is in the Lord. They don't. And some of you need to hear this because you're walking around with all of these stickers on you, these name tags that talk about all the bad stuff you've done and you just wear them all the time. Every day, you put them on. Instead of the armor of God, you put them on. And Jesus is like, put a new one on their child of God. It's the same with when we cherish the past. We got to say, man, that was a great time in my life. I'm glad this happened and this happened, but God's doing something new now. And I was, as I was studying this, I was thinking about the example that came to my mind was there's parents. And, and in my experience, not that it can't happen to the fathers, it's, it, it's more often not the mothers. They will so focus on their family, raising them. It, it, it becomes their identity, not Christ. And so when that family moves out and they're left with that empty nest, they lose all sense of themselves. They don't know who they are anymore because that was the source of their identity. And so they keep trying to go back to that, much to their kids' annoyance. But someone who understands Leaving the past in the past, saying, man, I'm so glad I got to be a, a mom or a dad to those children and raise them in my home, and I, and I pray I continue to have influence in their lives, but now that they're out, God's calling me to a new thing. He's calling me to something new for his kingdom. I pray I, that's what I get. It gets my excitement. That gets my passion. But you can only do this if your identity's not in that, but in him. I read an article a few weeks ago, and it was talking about pastors who struggle, that they're, they're used to over, you know, however many years they're in ministry, they have this level of, of influence. You know, they get to preach every week like I do, and, and then people come up and say, look, this meant something to me, and, and this touched me, and, and, and that's exciting to know as a pastor that you had that role in someone's life, but that when they stop being a pastor for one reason or another, that they lose a sense of themselves because their identity was what they did as a pastor and not being in a son of God. And like one day I won't be a pastor. I'm hopefully not anytime soon. But like, you know, one day, one day I'll need to step down. I just won't be in an ability to do it anymore, hopefully many years from now. And as I was writing, I said, Lord, I pray when I get to that time, Father, that my relationship is so rock solid, my identity is so rock solid in you that I appreciate everything that's happened in the past and I give you glory for it, but that I'll be excited about what you have me doing then. That the past won't hold me back. It won't become baggage that I carry with me. Acceptance. It was good. Praise God for it. But now I'm focused on what God wants me to do now. 
Yeah, that was a scar. That hurt me. That was a painful, but that doesn't define me. I'm focused on what God's going to do now. And what's a beautiful thing, especially with the scars, is he usually uses them when your eyes are on him, your identity is him, to help minister and help other people heal. That's the best. I love that. I love when God takes something ugly and he turns it into something beautiful. There's no better moment. None. None. But you have to be able to let go, to accept that it happened. The other thing, and I've, I've put whole sermons on this, and so I'm going to just touch it quickly, is we have to be able to forgive. Ephesians 4, we talked about last week, said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and look at that, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you and Christ has forgiven you. Now, we all love the idea of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said this best. He said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> so here's a couple things. One, we have to remember there's only one real enemy in this world, and that's the devil. All the source of traumatic hurt and experiences, things that happen to us, he's the source. And I say this because when people hurt us in our lives, we make them out to be the enemy. And yes, we have enemies, but it doesn't mean they are the enemy. Now, that doesn't mean it excuses people when they hurt us. It doesn't mean that they do not need to be held accountable. But it means we change how we see them. Because anybody that hurts somebody else, whether in a little way or in a huge way, they're doing that because of the baggage they have in their lives. Christ isn't at the center of their lives. They're sick with sin. And the devil loves to use the baggage in our lives and the sin in our lives, and he loves to exploit it. I mean, some of us now, we walk around with the bitterness and, and the anger from the past, and it is literally a weapon. Somebody says one wrong thing to us, and we're like, whoosh, and we knock them out. Maybe, you know, not physically, but with our words and with the way we treat them. Our baggage, it becomes a weapon. And the same thing happens to the people that hurt us. And, and I learned, I had some people I really struggled with forgiving in my life. Until one day I saw, and, and they did real hurt, real damage. Until the day that I felt like I really understood sin and God realized to me how broken they were to do the things that they did. They're broken. They're sinful. It doesn't make everything better, but it helps me to see them in a new light. It helps me to pray for them and, 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 and ask God to move that they may find Christ, because in the end, Christ will bring justice to all, to those that hurt us and to us. He'll deal with all sin. He'll either deal with it by what he's already done on the cross as we put our faith in him, or he'll deal with it as we're separated from him for all eternity. He'll deal with it. And when I realize that it's not my job to bring revenge, when it's my job to forgive because I have been forgiven, it helps me to let go of the bags of the past.
And if that doesn't help, the truth that forgiving is a command of God. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, he says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father, their sins, their debts, you will heavily, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, he will not forgive you. Read this, Christians. If you do not forgive others, he will not forgive you. Now, once again, this is not saying that you earn salvation like, ooh, gold star forgiveness, you made it. What it's saying is somebody who has put their faith in Christ, somebody who has repented for their sins, they understand what they have been forgiven. Treason against God. We've talked about this many times. And so they'll forgive anybody else because they know what they have been forgiven. They understand that. I was praying this morning. I was like, God, if there is any unforgiveness in me, I pray you show it to me. And this unforgiveness, it's not just about letting go of the past, but it creates a better future. I, man, I, how many people, we have bitter relationships with our families. There's bitter, there's anger, and it breaks the family. And it doesn't affect just us, but it affects our families and their ability to interact with other families. And, and the holidays are coming up. And it has this tragic consequences. And God wants to do new things in those relationships. Especially if you're a Christian. He wants to do new things through you. And especially if they're non-Christian. He wants you to show them who Jesus is. But you still hold on to that bitterness. You're holding on to the bitterness. You're holding on to the anger. It says you need to be able to forgive them. To let go. And when you can do that, and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week because I know it's just not like this process. When you're able to let go of the past and you move forward, you realize, man, the only thing I need moving forward, it's not my bags, it's faith. Just faith in God. That's it. That's all I need to go. That's all I need to move forward is faith. Every day we wake up, man, and we choose whether to trust God or not. And it's scary because we want to know what the future holds. That's why sometimes we hold on to unforgiveness is because we use it to protect ourselves from the future because we, we want to know what's there. We want the ability to protect ourselves. This one dude, this one author, his name was Ralph. I don't remember his last name. He said this. He said this. I loved it. He goes, I don't know what the future holds, but he goes, I know the one who holds my future. I'm going to say it again. I don't know what the future holds, but he goes, I know the one who holds my future. And he said, that's all I need. That's all I need. And I pray it's the same for you. If you're saying, Lord, let me, help, me, help me let go of these bags of the past. Help me to stop over-cherishing great things that have happened. Help me to stop holding on to bitterness and anger. And, and, and give me the faith, Father, just to follow you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what you're doing. But I know as I read in Isaiah, your thoughts, they're not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. I know that you're sovereign. You're working all things out for good. It's scary for me because I want to be in control, but I know you're the one in control. Help me drop my bags. Help me to step out in faith so that I may see with my own eyes that best that you have yet to come for my life if I follow you. Amen, church? Amen.